The scripture reading for today is taken from 1 Samuel 19, verses 1 to 10, and we'll be reading that in connection with our text for this morning, which will be Psalm 124. Now, Psalm 124 can refer to any number of events that took place in David's life, but reading this portion of scripture gives us a bit of an idea of the things that he went to war and strife and hardships burdening David's life as we sang, and looking also at where he found his strength in the midst of all of this. So we begin with 1 Samuel 19, the verses 1 to 10. David has been faithfully serving King Saul at this point in time and has been brought into his army and has risen through the ranks of the army to become one of his prominent military leaders. And Saul has become more and more jealous. Now Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted greatly in David. So Jonathan told David, saying, My father Saul seeks to kill you. Therefore, please be on your guard until morning and stay in a secret place and hide. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak with my father about you. Then what I observe, I will tell you. Thus Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his works have been very good toward you. For he took his life in his hands and killed the Philistine, and the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all Israel. You sighed and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood to kill David without a cause? So Saul heeded the voice of Jonathan, and Saul swore, As the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. Then Jonathan called David, and Jonathan told him all these things. So Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as in times past. And there was war again, and David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a mighty blow, and they fled from him. Now the distressing spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand, and David was playing music with his hand. Then Saul sought to to pin David to the wall with his spear, but he slipped away from Saul's presence, and he drove the spear into the wall. So David fled and escaped that night. Now we'll move ahead to Psalm 124, which is a song of ascents written by David. This being a song of ascents means that this would have been one of a series of songs sung by the Israelites as they are slowly walking up the road towards Jerusalem, towards that temple mount, and as they are looking forward to being able to celebrate the feast days there and do the sacrifices there. And they would have been reflecting on these times in David's life as well as their own situation as they were singing these songs. Psalm 124. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side... 
Let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us alive when their wrath was kindled against us. Then the waters would have overwhelmed us. The stream would have gone over our soul. Then the swollen waters would have gone over our soul. Blessed be the Lord, who has not given us as prey to their teeth. Our soul has escaped as a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. So far, the word of God. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In 2004, in the Indian Ocean, there was an earthquake and a tsunami. Now, many of you may be too young to remember that. For many of us, this is so vivid in our minds, the, the pictures that were all over the news and the uh, things that took place at that point in time and the grief that was everywhere, that it, it, it's imprinted on our minds. And so it's almost hard to believe that there was a time in which this wasn't commonly known to everybody. And yet, there are some among you who don't remember this, considering it happened 16 years ago. What happened at this time was, when there was this earthquake, there were waves that followed behind them. These waves rose up to 30 meters, 100 feet high. And they caused just massive damage everywhere that they went. It was catastrophic. If you look up on YouTube, you can see the videos of people who are, are taking videos of just things that are going on in the beach, and then suddenly in the distance, they see this immense wave rolling towards them. And as they start to realize what is going on, people begin to scream and people begin to run. What do you do when a wave like that is rolling in? You get a real feeling of helplessness. And terror, the water is coming to you to overwhelm you. Where can you run? Where can you hide? King David felt this very same feeling many, many times. Although for him it wasn't literal water, it was a picture, a word picture that he used frequently. This feeling of helplessness, and fright surrounded him on many occasions. And this is what he gives voice to again here in Psalm 124. And we'll be looking at this psalm today under the following theme, when their wrath was kindled against us. And we'll see, first of all, the terror of that wrath. And secondly, beyond mere preparation. And finally, the, the last point will be Deliverance from the snare. We read in the opening words of this psalm that if the Lord had not been on our side when men rose against us, they would have swallowed 
us up alive. This is the natural state of man. That apart from the Lord God, we would have been swallowed up alive. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when men rose up against us, they would have swallowed us up alive when their wrath was kindled against us. The wrath of man is a terrible thing, and we can see many examples of this in the world We only have to look back through the history of humanity to see the terrible atrocities that have been committed against other people. Terribly wicked things that have been done simply because the wrath of one person was kindled against another person or group of people or race. Hitler's genocide against the Jews, his desire to carry out genocide against the Jews, The Rwandan genocide, when you had the fights that were uh, taking place between the Hutus and the Tutsi tribes at that point in time. Attempts to do ethnic cleansing, removing Kurds from various regions in the Middle East. And the wrath of man continues to carry on to perpetuate these things around the world, across the globe. Great is that wrath. But lest we think that this is just something for the world out there, God reminds us closer to home to beware of that wrath as well. We only have to think back to the book of James, chapter 1, verse 19. Beloved, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. If you look at the decision that the Septuagint scholars made to translate this word into Greek, from Hebrew into Greek. It's the same word that's used as in the New Testament, which is what many of the New Testament writers would have looked back on. It's the same reminder that the potential for wickedness and the wrath of mankind can be found in each of our hearts. David, the author of this psalm, is very well aware of the destructive impact of the wrath of man. And he's seen it within himself against other people. And he's also seen it in his situation in which he has experienced the wrath of man on many occasions against himself, causing him to fear for and to flee for his life. Many times he fled from the relentless attacks of King Saul before he ascended to the throne. Time after time, Saul went out of his way to pursue David, even when it made absolutely no sense to do so. And his wrath against David ended up causing him to do terrible things to those who supported David, even unknowingly. There was one time when he even wiped out a whole town of priests, men, women, and children, all because he was worked into a rage because he thought that they had supported David and were challenging his power to the throne. Wrath, when fed like this, is immensely destructive. It doesn't just stay, but if we feed it, it grows and grows and does immense damage 
to those who were around. Again, when David's own son rose up against him in rebellion and led much of the country to overthrow him, he he experienced the receiving end of that wrath from mankind. His son Absalom did terrible things to the family that he had left behind to watch over the palace when he fled for exile, into exile for a time. David knew what he was speaking about when he talked about the wrath of others being kindled against him and that feeling of being swallowed up alive. But it wasn't just David alone who experienced this. You'll notice that in this psalm, he remains deliberately vague. He doesn't mention specifically which enemies are rising up against him, and he doesn't mention which situation that he found himself in. But rather, he phrases this in such a way that many who hear can worship together with him, confessing the same words and remembering the very real and terrible wrath that they had faced and remembering their fear and their anxiety, their worry and their sorrow. And that is exactly what they did. This being a psalm of ascent, the nation of Israel would be singing this as they were coming up the mountain towards Jerusalem on the feast days. And each of them, they would be remembering this as members of the nation to which they belong. Not just thinking back to David, but also thinking back to their own history. They would clearly remember the wrath and the fury of the nations around them who would come flooding over their borders on regular occasions, with the intent to kill and to destroy them. And perhaps this brings to mind situations for yourself as well in which you faced overwhelming fear and overwhelming terror and anxiety. The picture that's used here is very vivid they would have swallowed us up alive. He's using a picture here of a fierce and wild animal that's so much more powerful than the thing that it's attacking that there's no hope for them. There's no contest here, no battle, no potential victory for the underdog. There's such a huge power imbalance that the enemy can just swallow them whole. David uses the picture of roaring waters in addition to this, as he so frequently does. And thinking back to those images and the destructive power of the tsunami or maybe of floods that you've seen. Floods that we have been able to see even though we put things into place to as much as possible limit the damage that can be done these days. We still know we still know the immense destructive power and the unstoppable nature of a river that overflows its banks and that just sweeps across the land. This is the natural state of man in the face of much of the wrath and fury of the world. But it's not just the physical The rage goes beyond the physical, going over his very soul. It's not just as we face the wrath of humanity, 
But in the face of the power of the devil, in the face of temptation, the thing that's riding up on top of this wave that is coming to overwhelm us, not just the physical, but the spiritual, the face of grave sins, taking advantage of the current situation that we are in, seeking to overwhelm us, both from outside and from within our own hearts. In the face of all of this, the natural state of man is to be swallowed up alive. These waters overpower. And what's worse, much of human, humanity surrenders willingly to it. Humanity delights in sin when it feels it benefits, despite its destructive nature. And how hopeless this seems. The second thing to notice here is that this wrath can and will overwhelm even despite preparation. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, our passage says, this leaves no room for human effort. There's no hope without the Lord. How often do we have it that we prepare physically for something and we think that we're okay? How often do we see a storm approaching on the horizon and begin to shore things up and patch here and there and begin to feel hopeful, but we've forgotten the most important part? Even though we're physically prepared, it doesn't mean that we are prepared spiritually. Even if we're physically prepared in the face of overwhelming things, we can still fall. Think of the great men in history, even the most successful men who fell. Alexander the Great, though he conquered the world, was brought down, it seems, by liver failure after a wife of hedonism, drinking and partying. Wealthy bank owners and hedge fund managers who lived criminally and made many questionable investments in 2008 were brought crashing down by a recession that many of them had been involved with making. And even in these days, we hear of celebrities and pop culture icons and even ministers at the top of their careers who are brought low by scandal. Though we might be physically prepared for much, we are reminded that without dependence on the Lord, these floods can still overwhelm us. David, the author of this song, was often well prepared. As he grew older, he became a mighty man of war. And he surrounded himself by men of valor. If you read through the books of Samuel, you can read about some of their incredible feats. But despite the best of preparations, he was frequently reminded that he needed the Lord's hand in victory. In one example, in 1 Chronicles 19, he and his commander, Joab, were besieging the city of Rabbi in the country of Ammon. And he and Job, as he and Job faced this, Joab faced this city, 32,000 chariots came in response to Rabbah's call for aid. They came up behind their army to crush them against the city. And it seemed certain that they would be overwhelmed. Now, listen to how this great battle is described in 1 Chronicles 19, verse 10 and following. When Joab saw that the battle line was against him before and behind, he chose some of Israel's best, 
and put them in the battle array against the Syrians. And the rest of the people he put under the command of Abishai, his brother, and they set themselves in battle array against the people of Ammon. And he said, if the Syrians are too strong for me, then you shall help me. But if the people of Ammon are too strong for you, then I will help you. Be of good courage and let us be strong for our people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what is good in his sight. Vastly outnumbered in the face of chariots that are riding up against them, a whole host. They prepare and then they call on the Lord. May the Lord do what is good in his sight. The Lord rescued them that day, as he had on many other occasions. But David never forgot. He never forgot that whether well-prepared or whether caught by surprise, his victories were due to the help of the Lord. Preparation was good, but all the preparation in the world will not help you if you don't depend on the Lord's hand for victory. Here, too, you can see how the Lord reminds him of this fact. The Lord frequently put him in a place of dependency. As the Lord so frequently puts us in a place of dependency. But we must remember that the Lord never does this arbitrarily. The Lord always calls him, David, to face enemies that need to be faced And when he faces them out of a place of dependency, he can see that he is always dependent on the Lord, even when he feels like he's well prepared. Whether for the victories that he thinks he can easily win or the ones that the Lord lets him win with overwhelming odds against him, the victory lies in the hands of the Lord. And this is what David wants to drive home in the first part of his song as well. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Why could he be so confident? Well, here's where I want to take some time to reflect on the name of the Lord. You've all heard me say it before, and I hope to say it many times again. But the Lord, in all capital letters, is that name of promise which the Lord gave to his people. That name of promise, Yahweh. The name in which he says, I have established a relationship with you, and now I give you a special name by which you can refer to me to symbolize that relationship. And this is important in our passage today because that's where the people find their defense. And you can see it in two ways, that it's driven home in two ways in our passage. First, you can see it in the use of his name. You just heard me quote that other psalm, Psalm 20, some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord, of Yahweh, our God. And here in our psalm, you can see the people expressing their dependence on that name. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, the Lord in all capital letters, our God, Yahweh, the God of promise, that name means something. If you are a believer, if you are a member of the people of God, if you have put your trust in Jesus Christ, that name means something. It's a promise of faithfulness. 
and the promise of trust. In the Old Testament, because God could find no one higher to swear by, he swore by his own name that he would be his people's God. We today have this even more firmly and more strongly in our hand because we can see how he fulfilled this with Jesus Christ himself coming. The promise carried by this name was sealed by the blood of our Lord and Savior himself. This name has meaning. And if there was any doubt, he repeats that name again, that in addition to that, he uses the name, that, to using the name that God has given to his people, he then calls on them by the name that God himself has named his people by as well. Let Israel now say, That was a name that God had given as a gift to his people to remind them of this promise that he had given. They were the elect people of God, his chosen nation, his dearly beloved. That was what this name Israel reminded them of. The tender care that he extends to them. That's the second line to remember. It's not just anybody that can call on the name of the Lord in times of trouble and have him hear and have him answer them. It's not just anybody who shares that special name and that special relationship with our sovereign God, but it's God's chosen ones, his loved people, his bride, those whom he has called out of the nations by his sovereign will and decree. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, then they would have swallowed us up alive. You, loved ones of our Savior, you can call on this name. Don't simply prepare physically for things that you face in this world and believe that you are okay. Don't just see the storm approaching. Begin to shore things up and and patch here and there and then just remain there feeling hopeful. No. Preparations are good and preparations are necessary. Do put your watch on the wall. Do set your hand to the sword while you carry the trowel. But do all of this as you call on the name of the Lord your God. Set your preparations in place with the name of Jesus on your lips. Or the nations will come. Temptations will come. Hardships will come. And you will most certainly be swallowed up alive. But for those who rely on the name of Jesus... For those who call on the Lord, relying in faith on that name of promise. Even for you, if you today are watching and you haven't done that in faith, calling on Jesus Christ. You haven't come to him in repentance and put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. You can still receive this promise and be joined by God into his people by his grace. 
And to those who call on the Lord, relying in faith on that name of promise, he shows grace upon grace. And this brings us to our final point, deliverance from the snare. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their chief. The tribes of the Lord, as they were going up to the temple of the Lord to worship, singing this song as one of their songs of ascents on their special days of worship, on their feast days, they would be able to look back at their history. They would be able to confess together as a nation, blessed be the Lord, blessed be Yahweh, who has not given us as prey to their teeth. The Lord has spared them. There were times when he let them go, fall under the yoke of the nations around them to discipline them and to call them back to himself. But ultimately, the Lord had spared them from the huge power imbalances, the incredible and powerful nations that were surrounding them, the tearing teeth of the wild beasts. But I want you to notice how exactly they phrase this as they're climbing up to the mountain of ascent, to, as they're climbing up in their ascent to the mountain of the Lord. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us his prey to their teeth. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. Notice what they're acknowledging here. It was his every right to give his wayward people over as prey to their enemies. You yourselves know how wayward you can be, how often you can fall into sin time and time again. You only have to look at your own hearts to see this. How quick we can be with a sharp word, with a judging eye. How quick we can be with a wayward glance how quick we can be in so many other ways. You know how wayward we can be. And yet the Lord did not give them over, even though it was his right. Even though his people stumble and fall into willful blindness so often, even though we so frequently and freely fly our way into the snares that are set out before us. The snares of sin, the snares of temptation, the snares of lust, wrath, envy, greed, and so many more. It would be his divine right to give us over to our sins. But our soul has escaped from disaster, the psalmist writes. Instead of giving his people over, as was his divine right, the Lord has chosen to intervene. For the Israelites, as they were climbing up to the mountain of the Lord, they could see this. They could see this very vividly before them. 
because they would be reminded time and time again as they were coming up to the Lord for these feast days for what the purpose of those feast days was. The purpose was to offer sacrifices to the Lord, to recognize their own sin and to recognize their own dependence on the Lord and their own waywardness. Their sacrifices were a recognition every time that another animal went down on that altar that I should be on the altar, but the Lord has stepped in. The Lord has intervened. The Lord has shown his mercy. The Lord has provided a way for me to be right with him. And likewise, for ourselves, as we come before the Lord, time and time again, we can have our eyes fixed before Jesus Christ, before us on Jesus Christ. As we come down on our knees and as our hearts ascend to heaven in prayer, as we come before the very throne of God himself in prayer, as we are ascending with joy in our hearts, we can be reminded that our hearts are fixed on Jesus who has delivered us from the snare by his sacrifice on the cross. He submitted himself, even though he had no reason to, apart from his own name. And though he had every right to simply pass us by and start over again. He had every right to wipe us from the face of the earth after we had corrupted his beautiful creation, darkened his beautiful world by our sin and our rebellion, after we had marred perfection itself through the ways that we had done things. The word for bird here says our soul has escaped as a bird. The word for bird here is a little bird, likely a sparrow, caught in the snare or the net of the fowler, which is to say one who hunts birds. Wings fluttering, heartbeat throbbing, trembling in fear, completely at the mercy of the things that have trapped us. And then the Lord appears. Jesus comes to stand in the breach. He has given and he will give the ultimate victory. And when we have it in times, even times now that we find ourselves wrapped up, caught up in sin, and that we find that the Lord has released us. If we find we are caught up in sin, we can look to the Lord in prayer. We can confess it to him. We can pray for release. If we come in genuine repentance and faith to him, he will release us. But even more than that, as he, if we are in a situation in which he has delivered us, in which he has released us, there is no reason to stand and wait and fear, fearing that the other shoe might drop. No, we can rest and we can trust in the deliverance and the peace that he gives us through Jesus Christ, his son. He broke what we couldn't break 
ourselves. We simple little birds. We unwise little sparrows. Trapped because of our own foolishness. He broke those bonds and he grants his deliverance. This is his grace to all who are caught in the snares of sin and who come in repentance as his people calling on the name of the Lord. Though we face overwhelming power and though we face waters that feel like they could go over our soul, the swollen waters which could have gone over our soul, the Lord delivers. The Lord has delivered. The Lord has given that promise of deliverance through Jesus Christ, his son. And the Lord will also release us. Ultimately, on that final day, as well as we look forward to that day when there will be no more sin. And when we will be able to stand before him in robes pure as snow, cleansed by his power. And as we look ahead to that day, as we look at what he has delivered us from and what he does deliver us from, there really is no other way to describe it. But to confess, as we do time and time again at the beginning of worship services, to confess that our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Amen.